Hi everyone, welcome back to the second episode of Serial Access. Today's case is one that is a little on the strange side. We are going to be going over the story of Jane Topin. Jane Topin was born Honora Kelly on August 17th of 1854 in Boston, Massachusetts to a lower middle-class family. Although the accounts of her early life are largely hazy, it has been reported that her mother, Bridget Kelly, died when Jane was just an infant. The records say that she passed away due to tuberculosis that was not able to be treated at that time. Jane's parents were Irish immigrants and her father worked as a small-time tailor. She grew up with three other sisters in the household. Following the death of her mother, her father Peter Kelly turned insane. Slowly, he grew a notorious reputation around town as Kelly the Crack. He heavily indulged in alcohol and made the life of all of his daughters hellish. One of the most popular accounts of his insanity was that he once tried to sew his eyelids completely shut. Peter somehow had enough sense to know that he was a bad influence on his children, and hence he took his two youngest children, Jane and Delia, to the Boston Female Asylum. However, the authorities had another story to tell about her entrance in the asylum. Official accounts state that the sisters were rescued by them from the abusive alcoholic eccentric father. During their stay in the asylum, it was reported that Jane's older sister, Delia, started working as a prostitute. Jane somehow managed to get a job at a local house as a house servant. She was a little older than the age of nine years old at that time. Anna C. Topin, the owner of the house, never officially adopted Jane, but she brought her up as her own daughter, more or less. She pretty much treated her the same as she did her own children. Jane also adopted the last name of her beneficiaries, Topin, and formed a close bond with Anne's daughter, Elizabeth. They both went to school together and lived in the same house, almost like sisters. During the senior year of her high school experience, she got attracted to a man and started a relationship with him, but it did not work out and she received the shock of a lifetime when he left her at the altar. He never even showed up to their wedding. This led Jane to become a depressed young woman. Several other failed relationships had her believing that she was not worthy of love and to be loved by men, which became the genesis of her weird sexual behavior later in her life. Jane's crimes started in 1885 when she started her training as a nurse in the Cambridge Hospital, where she was loved by her patients and co-workers. Due to her loving nature, she earned herself a nickname. The nickname was Jolly Jane but what went on under the curtains remained unknown for many years. Jane used some of the most critical patients as her guinea pigs for experimentations. She gave them morphine in higher doses than normal, 
and when they became unconscious, she lied in bed next to them. Whether she had sexual relations with her patients or not, but she did admit that she got a sexual satisfaction by laying in bed next to the men who were about to die. She spent quite a lot of alone time with her patients and cared for them when others were not around. This kept her in the good books of her coworkers and her bosses. And due to that, she was transferred to Massachusetts General Hospital in 1889. But in the hospital, as big as MGH, she could not sustain her experimentations and weird behaviors for a long time. She was fired within a year, and following that, she tried moving back to Cambridge Hospital for a small period of time. She got her old job back somehow, but, but her record with MGH put her under heavy security without her knowledge. That resulted in her getting fired from the hospital after a few months when she was caught red-handed overdosing a patient. Soon after getting fired from Cambridge, Jane started working as a private nurse, and with a decent experience with her, her career flourished. In the early stages of her new professional venture, she got booked quite a few times for her indulgence and petty theft, but all the charges were dismissed at that time. Now we get into the murders that she had done. As she started working, her instincts became more and more gruesome. In 1895, she claimed her first victim in the form of her landlord, Israel Dunham, and his wife. She committed the murder by poisoning the couple when they were giving her troubles. She took a two-year gap between her second and third killing, and her third victim's identity was rather shocking. She poisoned Elizabeth Brigham, her foster sister. Elizabeth was married at the time, and it was later reported that Jane was jealous of Elizabeth and was in love with her husband. After Elizabeth's death, she tried to seduce her husband but failed. This shows that sexual frustration played a major role in her crooked mental health. In 1899, she killed one of her elderly patients, Mary McNear, by poisoning her. And what followed was a trail of gruesome murders. By the year 1900, her poisoning spree had taken 30 lives. And she planned the murders in such deliberate ways that it was difficult for the authorities to nab the murderer. But like every other criminal, she did make mistakes. And she made it in August of 1901. Jane Topin was hired as a private nurse to take care of Maddie and Alden Davis, an elderly couple. She first killed Alden and then Maddie by poisoning both of them. She also killed the young daughter of the couple, Minnie, but the family did not intend to let it slide and asked for a full toxicology report on Minnie. The police found out that she was poisoned and Jane was immediately booked. An investigation ran and Jane was taken into custody on October 29th of 1901. By early 1902, she confessed to killing 31 people, 
but the official records state that they think that the number is way higher than 31. She asked her lawyer to prove in court that she was insane so that there was a chance of her getting released. But in the courtroom, she insisted that she was not insane. But despite the claims, she was declared insane in order to spend the rest of her life in Taunton Insane Hospital, where she died on October 29th of 1938 at the age of 84. So, what do you guys think of this case? I feel like you personally don't know who you're hiring. You need to do a background check on everybody, even if it's for a family friend or for your mother or father. I feel like you need to do a complete background check, and it also helps if you use a service to hire them. That way, they do a background check, they do a drug screening, they do several different things, and you don't deal with Jane Topin or a recreation of Jane Topin. Yeah, they can get by, but eventually they will get caught. That is my personal opinion. I could be the only person that has that opinion in this planet, but I personally, I agree with that. My father was on hospice and I would have stated that every hospice worker who came in did an amazing job and they did wonderful. So I feel like if you go through an agency, you're more likely not going to get a serial killer at your home, you're going to get someone who actually cares. But that's my opinion. Yours can be completely different, but that's just how I feel about the situation. Please remember that you can go to SerialAccess.com and suggest a serial killer for me to go over and tell their stories. I would love to hear your guys' feedback on the podcast, so remember to give us a rating on how you thought the podcast went and if you would change anything, any recommendations, so on and so forth. If you have any questions, our contact information is on the website and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Serial Access. We do leak out a little bit of information just to bring suspense to the episode. Make sure that you do share it with a friend so that way it gets the word out there. And I will see you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening.